Please rise for the reading of God's Word from the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verses 1 through 12. Hear now God's Word. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them to be idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. And thus far, the reading of God's word, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Ever since the first Easter, Christians have gathered every Sunday, the first day of every week, to remember and to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, here we are again, just like we were last Sunday and the Sunday before that. We start every week with the reminder of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, so that we remember who he is and what he's done, and so that we will remember who we are and why we're here, and that's why there's nothing we do every week that is any more important than to gather with the community of God's people for public worship. Getting up and coming, just being here today, starts with denying ourselves, making a decision to do hard things. Not that hard, really, but we have to start the day, start the week by saying, I've got something to do. And I've got something to do that's important. And I've got something to do that's bigger than me. And so here we are. It sets everything else in its right order and priority. The reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a new beginning, a new creation. N.T. Wright observed that the resurrection of Jesus is Christianity. And this means that it becomes the starting point of all Christian thinking and living, challenging all other possible starting points. In other words, the resurrection is central. If it's true, then all other things come under that truth. If it is false, then I must tell you that all other things are adrift in a meaningless grinding wheel of death. That's how it ends. This contrast is indeed 
stark. The famous 20th century philosopher and atheist Anthony Flew, in his later years, wrote a book titled, There is a God, How the World's Most Famous Atheist Changed His Mind. And after some extended dialogue with N.T. Wright about the resurrection of Christ, Flew made this statement. If you're wanting omnipotence to set up a religion, this is the one to beat. And so, let's take a look at the context of what Luke is saying here in the last chapter of Luke. Uh, and, and we're going to be looking in weeks ahead. Remember, Luke wrote the book of Acts. And so, Acts chapter 1 is, there's kind of an overlap between Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. The story continues. Looking back, though, to chapter 1 of Luke, verse 4, Luke made it clear that his purpose in writing his gospel account was this, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. He was, of course, referring to the things taught about Jesus. In fact, Jesus is is at the very heart of everything that takes place in the Gospel of Luke. The calling of the disciples, the teaching of the parables, rebuking religious leaders, calming storms, casting out demons, healing the sick, feeding the 5,000. And then, in the very last week of the life of Jesus, He's betrayed, arrested, tried, condemned, crucified. So we see Jesus on virtually every page of the Gospel of Luke. That is, until we get to chapter 24, where Jesus is conspicuous by His absence. It's three days after He was crucified, dead, and buried. This is the very day that He said He would rise from the dead, And while he was risen, nevertheless, at this point in the story, he can't be found. So let's take up the story at that point. In verses 1 through 5, we want to look at what the women found. A small group of women were there, were were the last ones to leave the cross, and they are the first ones to arrive at the tomb now on this morning. At the end of chapter 23, verse 55, we read, quote, referring to the women, they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. That's the last image in their mind, the dead body of Jesus laying in the tomb. It's fixed in their minds. Then they took the Sabbath off and prepared spices and fragrant oils for the next day because they were going to show great respect for the body of Jesus And so on the first day of the week, being very eager, they headed out very, very early in the morning to go back to the tomb and pay their last respects. So they fully expected to go back and to find the body of Jesus exactly where they had seen it in the tomb two days before. Keep in mind that the women must have been physically and emotionally exhausted in addition to being overwhelmed with grief. As we read this story, it's good to try to stand in the place of the various people and try to imagine. These are real people. These are not, this is not a fairy tale. These are real people just like you. Imagine what they felt. Imagine what they're, imagine what they're thinking. 
how their world has been shattered. So the discovery that the body of Jesus was missing was a shocking event, and it certainly must have added to their dismay. They couldn't possibly have comprehended what was actually happening, and Luke, because Luke says they were greatly perplexed about this. That word can also be translated doubted. They had their doubts about what this meant. And while they didn't know the answers to their questions, Nevertheless, in Luke's story, there were some hints, obviously. The stone had been rolled away, and the body was gone. So this is actually the first intimation of the resurrection. Luke actually gives us uh, an editorial preview in verse 3 when he refers to Jesus as Lord. Uh, This is one of the specific titles of the risen Christ, since it was by the resurrection that he was declared to be the Lord. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Luke writes, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, or Messiah. Nevertheless, the women are still distressed and confused because they couldn't find Jesus, just like all of us would be. So then in verse 4 through 6, we see the angels appear. They had been attending to Jesus since before he was born. And you know that angels are simply holy messengers sent by God. And in this case, they are appearing in human form uh, and, and appear next to these women. And no doubt the shining garments gave them away. I'm not sure what that is, but it's noted in Scripture that there's something that, that absolutely sets them apart in a dramatic way. And it says their garments are shining. And we also know it from how the women reacted. It says they bowed their faces to the earth. They knew these were not ordinary men. And so these angels recognize that the women are starting with some false assumptions. So they ask them, uh, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Why are you at the cemetery? (laughs) Well, that's an odd question, right? And then comes the most glorious declaration, the best news ever. He's not here. He is risen. And thus we say, and the church has through the centuries to this day, He is risen. He is risen indeed. So whether someone believes it or not, we always need to emphasize that the Bible is talking about a physical resurrection, not a resuscitation. This is the antithesis of what one of my professors at Oklahoma Baptist University many, many years ago said to the students, which was this, quote, if there had been cameras there at the tomb, we would not have seen a physical body stand up and walk. The only resurrection that took place was the resurrection of the influence of Jesus. Now, there are many who wish that Jesus' influence had not been resurrected. But let's be clear, his influence was resurrected precisely because his body was resurrected. In fact, as James Allen Francis observed, 20 centuries have come and gone 
And today, Jesus remains the central figure of all the human race, all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected mankind as much as this one solitary life. Amen. And again, this effect on mankind is due to the fact that he rose from the dead. Jesus wasn't just alive in hearts and minds and memories. He was a resurrected body that could never die again. So God found these women who were in the wrong place looking for the living among the dead, and He graciously sent messengers to tell them the good news of the gospel. How could these women believe such a message? How could they know? How could they know for sure that Jesus really rose from the dead? There was no question that the body of Jesus had not survived the cruel uh, crucifixion of the Romans, that spear to the side where the blood and the water flowed out was a guarantee that he was absolutely dead. There was no doubt that his body was missing from the tomb, otherwise the Sanhedrin would have gladly produced a dead body to disprove any claim to a resurrection. The evidence brought forth by the angels reminded the women of what Jesus had said. And and this text right here in the middle simply says, referring to the words of Jesus, they remembered his words. He is not here. Verse 24, uh, chapter 24, verse 6 and 7. He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. you remember that? you remember Him saying that? The authoritative Word of God is the basis for their belief. It is the basis for our belief. You remember immediately after Peter confessed, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus said, Blessed are you. Uh, Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father revealed it to you. Uh, Jesus said, the Son of Man... uh, So so immediately after that, Peter confessed this. uh, Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Again, in Luke 18... 32 and 33, Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, he will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. So this isn't veiled, this is explicit, and it's repeated by Jesus over and over and, and this kind of reminds me uh, of what Abraham, you remember, told the rich man uh, in the, the story of rich man and Lazarus. And, the, and he, as, the rich, as the rich man requested Abraham to send someone back to warn his five brothers not to come where he was. And what does Abraham say? He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. 
And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. See, the problem is with us. We're going to see this call to remember God's word becomes a repeated theme as Jesus interacts with his disciples over the next few weeks. We're going to look at the rest of Luke 24, and this is going to be come up over and over So now everything was happening exactly as Jesus had repeatedly said it would. He was crucified, dead, and buried, and now it was the third day, the day he promised to rise from the dead. Belief in his word takes away our doubts and perplexities. These women, like us, were called to believe him before they saw him. Now let's turn to the apostles. How did they respond? The women responded in faith, uh, verses 8 through 10. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. They immediately reported these things to the remaining disciples and the other followers Augustine said these women were the first preachers of the resurrection. This first evangelism was simple and straightforward. They went and told friends about the resurrection. The apostles didn't believe a word of it. Again, N.T. Wright points out, if Luke had been making this story up a generation or more after the event, as some have claimed, as people sometimes suggest, not only would he not have had women going first to the tomb, because women at that time were not regarded as credible witnesses in the ancient world, as this story itself bears out, he would have had the apostles believe the story at once, ready to be models of faith and to lead the young church into God's future, but not so. It seemed to them a silly fantasy Exactly the sort of thing they will they will have thought that you'd expect from a few crazy, grief-strucken women with lack of sleep. So the apostles initially wrote it off as idle words, empty words. The Greek word for idle is from the medical word that we use for delirious. They were out of their minds. Now, it's interesting to note that some of these men who didn't believe at first became not only preachers and missionaries, but ultimately martyrs. You don't die for a lie. G.K. Chesterton pointed out that the historical case for the resurrection is that everybody else except the apostles had every possible motive to declare what they had done with the body. If anything had been done with it, the apostles might have hidden it in order to announce a sham miracle, but it is very difficult to imagine men being tortured and killed for the truth of a miracle, which they knew was a sham. There are many people that we know right now who don't believe, but praise the Lord, their story, which is God's story, isn't over yet. 
So be encouraged. Now, it didn't take Peter, though. (laughs) Isn't Peter a great character in the Bible? Uh, Could we say he's a little impulsive? So Peter, after they said these are crazy women, these are idle words, it says uh, it only took Peter a few seconds to take off running to see the empty tomb for himself. Now remember, Peter and the others had seen some pretty astonishing things, like feeding the 5,000, walking on water, uh, healing the sick, raising the dead. Upon arrival, we're told that Peter, quote, marveled at what he saw. Again, think about Peter, what he's experiencing. This is a guy that just a few, two days ago, denied Jesus three times. He now has his hope renewed. These are words that we need to remember, words that demand faith. So let me ask you, have you ever investigated the empty tomb to find out whether Jesus rose from the dead? Many of you are familiar with Jordan Peterson, who was a contemporary thinker who to this point has not confessed Christ, yet about a month ago he made a remarkable and tearful statement, and I saw the video, and he got very choked up as he was just contemplating this. And he says this, I'm amazed at my own belief, and I don't understand it. Because I've seen, sometimes the objective world, and he means the physical world, The objective world and the narrative world, that is, this explanation of the world, this this idea that the world has a story that's going on and has meaning and purpose, I've seen the objective world and the narrative world touch. And the ultimate example of that, in principle, is supposed to be Christ. And then he pauses and he says, that seems oddly plausible but I still don't know what to make of it. And then this statement. It's partly because it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen if you fully believed it. Well, I think we have a glimpse of what happens when some people fully believe it. So if the resurrection of Jesus is true, then, of course, it is the most important event in human history. And yet so many are ignorant of it or else ignore it. Luke has written a reliable, credible, eyewitness historical account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ There were many witnesses and much evidence. It only started with an empty tomb, a tomb that the Romans were carefully guarding. Where did the body go? Well, there's also the existence of the church. How did these disciples recover so quickly and change the world so much if Christ did not rise? There's the worship of the church on Sunday, the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And then there were all those people, these women, at first the unbelieving apostles who very quickly became the believing apostles, 
The proclamation of Peter a few days later in Acts 2, where thousands are converted and added to the church. Paul summarizes these many witnesses in 1 Corinthians 3, 3-8. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the Twelve. After that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the great part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, He was seen by James, then all the apostles. Then last of all, He was seen by me also as one born out of time. As this earth-shattering story unfolds, there's still much to be revealed and developed concerning the implications and the applications of the resurrection of Christ for his followers and for the world. Again, Chesterton had this to say about Easter in his book, The Everlasting Man. I remind you that was a book, one of the books God used to convert C.S. Lewis. Uh, and he said this, On the third day, friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways they realized the new wonder, but even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of the new creation with a new heaven and a new earth, and in semblance of the gardener, God walked again in the garden in the cool, not of the evening, but of the dawn. The physical resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of redemption, both for mankind and the earth. Indeed, without Christ's resurrection and what it means, an eternal future for fully restored human beings dwelling on a fully restored earth, without that, there is no Christianity at all. And so when we say to one another, Christ is risen, and we reply, He is risen indeed, This is no mere cliché. It is a profound profession of faith. An earth-shattering profession. And everything that is wrong with you and everything that is wrong with the world finds its only hope and remedy in this simple truth. Remember his words. Let's pray. Oh God, indeed we are surprised by the resurrection. But what a happy surprise. Israel rejoiced when Egypt died upon the shore. We have a far greater joy because our Redeemer's foe lays crushed in the dust. Jesus strides forth as the victor, the conqueror of death, hell, and all opposition. He broke the bands of death, tramples the powers of darkness down, and lives forever. He is our gracious surety, apprehended for payment of our debt. He comes forth from the prison house of the grave, free and triumphant over sin, Satan, and death. We have our assurance that in Christ we too died. In Him we also live. In His victory we triumph. In his ascension, we shall be glorified. We pray in his name. Amen.
I recently read an excellent book on Christian funerals recommended by Roy Bradley. And in that book, the author, Thomas Long, wrote this. The indispensability of shouting out the good news of Easter at a funeral gets highlighted when we realize that there are actually two preachers at every funeral. Death, capital D, death, loves to preach and never misses a funeral. Death's sermon is powerful and it is always the same. Damn you, damn all of you. I win every time. I destroy all loving relationships. I shatter all community. I dash all hope. I have claimed another victim. Look at the corpse. Look at the open grave. There's your evidence. I always win. Funeral sermons that spend all their time on gentle themes of comfort and pastoral care miss both an opportunity and the point. Death is running after the pilgrim throng, pointing gleefully at the lifeless body and trying to drown out the songs of resurrection. It is the great privilege of the funeral preacher to shake a fist in the face of death, to proclaim again the vow of baptism and the cry of Easter triumph. O death, we reject all your lies. O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. In this season of reflection on the resurrection of Jesus, this springtime of new life, as we reflect on how the resurrection of Christ changed the world and how our how our own community was built upon and continues to be transformed by this reality, we need to remember that the power of Christ's gospel to transform individuals didn't begin and end with His hand-picked disciples. It also has transformed countless others, and these individuals in various ways have left their marks on history, and we too will have a legacy. May we personally be reminded that the transforming work of the resurrection of Christ also begins in us. From there, it moves downstream through our families, through our communities, and to the world. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may, though he may die, yet shall he live. Amen. Heavenly Father, we rejoice today in the fact of the resurrection. Our comfort and hope rest in the words of our Lord, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And like Martha, we confess, yes, Lord, we do believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us who are kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What things were gained to us, these we have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed we also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord, that we may gain Christ and be found in Him, that we may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means we may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that we have already attained, or are we already perfected, but we press on that we may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of us. Amen. Amen. And now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.